I'm Gabriel Stelion Shanks. My pronouns are he, him, and I am the artistic director of the Drama League. Welcome to the finale of season one of the Drama League's podcast series. We're thrilled to have you with us. As many of you know, we began this podcast and our video series back in March when it became clear that the COVID-19 pandemic was going to require the entire theater industry to find new ways to communicate, not only with each other, but with our audiences. We had actually planned already to launch these series, but we moved up the timeline to address this moment and the extraordinary circumstances that 2020 has brought to our world and to its theater communities. What I didn't expect then, and of course I realize now, is that the conversations have been a lifeline for me and for so many of us. It's been opportunities to connect and to dream and to inspire, and yes, even to cry when we needed to. Um, it's been an incredible eight months. Over those episodes, we've spoken with renowned directors and playwrights and actors, scientists, government officials, and others who have helped us brainstorm, reinvent, and imagine what is possible now and what will be possible moving forward. So as we approached this finale and the end of this season, we wanted to bring all of that together if we could. We wanted to look back and take a breath maybe and think about what's next. So we decided to bring together the family of listeners and viewers that we've developed here, and that's you, with our family, the incredible warriors and leaders who are the staff of the Drama League. I'm really looking forward to their stories. We work together every day, but haven't seen each other in months. We've experienced what it's like to work in the theater in this time, and the experience of being on the front lines. And I think you'll be inspired by what their hopes or dreams are when we return to live performance in 2021. So let me introduce them to you. I'm gonna begin by saying hello to our executive director and my partner at the Drama League, Bevan Ross. Hi, Bevan. Hi, Gabriel. Next, we have our media associate who is also an alum of the Drama League Directors Project and a professional director on our staff, Emily Lyon. Hi, Emily. Hey, Gabriel. It's good Hi. to be with you. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure next to introduce you to our artistic coordinator, the, the glue that holds all of us together at the Drama League, Patrick Anthony Cirillo. Patrick, hello. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Many of you know from this podcast, because she's been a host of it, our artistic line producer, Ali Sky Bennett. Hi, Ali. How are you? Hey, Gabriel. So happy to be here with everyone today. Good morning. And last but certainly not least, our Associate Artistic Director and the producer of this series, Nylon. Hi, Nylon. Hey, how's everyone? I think we're good. I think, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation to talk about 2020 and what that's been. Um, so I'd love to just start by saying, um, or I guess revealing to our listeners openly, that we closed our offices in New York City on March 12th. And I'd love to go back to that moment um, and what you thought. I know I personally thought it was going to be a temporary moment um, that we'd all see each other soon. Um, but Bevan, maybe I'll start with you. What did you think when you got uh, to that moment on March 12th, when you and I looked at each other and said, oh, okay, we have to close the office. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, but on March 12th, believe it or not, 
I went to the Drama League Awards tasting at the Marquis, at the Marriott Marquis. And when we were there, I was asking them about what their emergency plans were and what their cancellation was, but I was definitely in denial. And I walked out with our special events manager uh, and our development manager into a world where Broadway had been closed indefinitely. I got the ping on my phone the moment I walked out of that tasting. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to say other than it was complete denial. I didn't, if you can remember, the city didn't close for another 10 days. So we had to make decisions rapidly. And I got back to the office and I remember looking you in the eye, Gabriel, and knowing that we had to close the office, that that was the, the only thing we could do. And we had just invested in new IT services. So I knew that we were on our way to a future where we could work remotely, but we weren't quite there. And, uh, you know, it seems prescient now that we had done that, but I was, I was definitely going into the unknown with remote work at that moment. And then the next day, which was Friday the 13th, uh, we made the choice, I made the choice to cancel, well, not cancel, but move the 86th Annual Drama League Awards online. And cancel is an interesting word because at that moment, cancel was all over the place and my heart couldn't take it. I wanted to, pivot. I wanted to change. I wanted to take uh, advantage of the moment to remember our humanity in a crisis. And so we, we did that. We took on the symbol of the ghost light, which is the only light left on in a theater when it is unoccupied and uh, so that a theater is never completely dark. And we turned to hope in that moment. But man, I never would have guessed we would have been closed that long or still. I, I completely agree with you. I remember you and I thinking it was going to be really temporary. Um, we were so naive at that point, and, and we were just sort of leaping past this moment. I, I had been the night before we closed um, with Nylon at Six the Musical on Broadway, which was a wonderful show and really celebratory, and I was excited about what the season was going to be, and then 24 hours later, um, that was over. Um, and trying to imagine what we could do and the pivot of our work seemed fascinating. Many of you know, but some of our listeners don't know how rapidly artists started to reach out to us for help, um, help with healthcare and with concerns around uh, the medical implications of COVID-19. Um, all directors in America lost work, lost their shows. And so suddenly the economic needs of feeding a family or staying in your apartment and being able to pay your rent um, were problems the Drama League had to wrestle with. And so I feel like, you know, very quickly we pivoted to change what it means to work in the American theater. And Emily, I'm gonna to come to you next. I wonder, you know, what that was like for you as a working artist and as the media associate here. You know, let me, let me sort of ask you to, sum it up in one word. If you could describe working during this pandemic in one word, what word would you choose? Adaptation. <laughs> yeah, I would say adaptation um, both within our office and, or I guess really without our office. Um, and 
personally as an artist, I, I actually was taking a week off um, the week that we <laughs> discovered there was going to be a shutdown. Um, I was in Arizona at the Creative Climate Leadership, uh, figuring out how to, as an artist, take on conversations of climate change. And um, I was actually in Biosphere 2, and <laughs> suddenly uh, that felt kind of like the safest place in the world to be. Um, and I remember reaching out and just checking in, like, what are we going to do? How is the drama league pivoting? Um, I guess I, I need to come back, but I guess I won't see you all for a while. Um, and the first thing we did was jump into like adapting our website, uh, to make sure that we were communicating effectively and, um, adapting our programming to go online and that happened as a director as well is like just all right you know sort of as, as Bevan was saying canceling is heartbreaking so how do we adapt and I'm really proud of us and proud of the projects I've been working on that um that adaptation I think has been you know not always comfortable but has been largely successful as a Taurus in the Zodiac adaptation is really hard for me, and I feel like it's a skill I had to learn in 2020 in new ways. Uh, I agree with you completely, and it, it's interesting to sort of like think about our early conversations, Emily, where we did talk so much about the practical concerns of pivoting and how do we get information to our community? How do we give them resources? And and you were a real voice in that. It makes me think about Patrick, who I'll just reveal to our listeners, sort of has the unofficial title of mama in our office because he takes care of all of us, not only professionally, but um, I can speak for myself personally, emotionally a lot of times. Um, and, you know, so if Emily is addressing sort of how we pivoted in a practical manner and, and how the work changed. Patrick, I'm wondering what your one word for working at the Drum League during this pandemic would be, because I always feel like you were the one making sure everyone, our artists, our audiences, our staff were cared for. You know, the one word that keeps on coming to mind is just challenging. And not in the sense of workload or being able to do the work. It's challenging. Uh, I love the title of Mama Bear, but it's challenging to be that role when I'm far away from you guys, when I'm far away from our artists. You know, there's only so much love I can give in this virtual space. You know, I, as a Pisces in the Zodiac calendar, all I want to do is give hugs and kisses to everyone around me. And we're in a time where we can't do that. And what is also challenging is, you know, work is great, but being away from our friends and families and having that separation, you know, when we get, you know, when we're working in the normal world, we're able to, you know, go home, we could say, okay, I could put work away from for now in this moment. But in this time, we work where we sleep. We work where we rest. You know, I find times where I, where I put something in the microwave to eat and I'm eating at the same time I'm working because I could do that when I'm home versus while I'm in the office. So it's been challenging to adapt, but adaptation is necessary during this time. And really, I just miss giving people hugs and telling people I care and I love them. So, yeah. Which, you know, that sort of in-person connection and affection, I think, is something we didn't realize was a part of our work. You know what I mean? Like, it, like 
Um, we are always with artists in rehearsal spaces, working on projects, being with them. And suddenly we are working with artists who we cannot do that with. We're inventing not only in the theater field at large, but at the Drama League, you know, new techniques for digital and virtual performance and, and this explosion that has happened on Zoom and in live digital capture and what that might mean for theater in a future that includes streaming. And Ali, you know, as our producing expert at the Drama League, um, I'd really love to hear your thoughts about that evolution of both what it's meant to produce and support artists in a uh, world where you cannot be with them in a room. And also your thoughts on how the field is changing and, and what this emergent digital performance uh, feels like for you. Certainly nothing can imitate or take the place of the experience of live theater. I think we all know that. Um, but taking a step back and looking at the broad view of it, I think what our industry has actually achieved in kind of one fell swoop is access, like exponentially greater access. And, um, you know, especially for young people in remote parts of the country who may feel like they don't belong or that they don't fit in anywhere, as I'm sure we all once did in our young lives. Um, you know, when you discover theater for the first time, you discover community. And um, I think that feeling that you belong somewhere and that it is here with all of us weirdos of the theater, like that is a priceless outcome of all of this digital and virtual performance. And one that I really hope is here to stay. Um, and certainly having a platform for which artists can communicate through their work uh, to greater lengths to folks across the country and can be seen by artists who might, you know, have the opportunity to hire them or collaborate or, um, make something together. I think we are uh, connected through the virtual space in a way that we've never been before. And and by that, I mean, you know, as theater makers, because we are such a live, in the moment sort of storytellers. So I think that's really valuable. I think you're you're really speaking to something that was a surprise to me, Allie, in, in that we think of the theater as a community, but really moving to a digital, global, virtual framework has made me, and I think a lot of us, redefine what it means to be a part of the theater community. Yeah. I, you know, we are, um, so often we talk about New York or Broadway as the community, but not only do we have the off-Broadway and the very vibrant off-off community here, but we have a regional community, an international community. And I know Nylon and I, you know, sometimes we'll spend the morning talking to Tony Award winners and end our day talking to high school students who are just starting their exploration of theater and wondering if there's a place for them in a post-pandemic theater world. Nylon, I'd love to hear, I know you've been embracing the, not only through the drum leagues work here, but in our work with high school students and with artists who are experimenting with liveness and what it means to work in this hybrid way. What are you thinking about digital performance and, and where it might go from here? I'm thinking it's at its earliest stage and, and how exciting it is to be an amateur again at something, um, to, to, um, have to really wrestle with what it is. And I think we're watching the entire theater industry, one, maybe not want to be an amateur anymore and, and are resisting um, this new um, form. And then we're also watching 
a big breath of artists um, decide to really do the time and the effort to figure out figure it out. Um, I must say that we've had video art inside of live theater um, since the 60s. Um, I spent some time realizing that uh, when um, video installation blew up the visual arts world and then how it creeped, crept into the experimental theater world. And now I'm watching it make its way into live performance. And I think it's always going to grow. Um, its accessibility is something that we have to really reckon with. But um, overall, I'm really excited. And uh, we're going to master this new frontier too. It's just going to take us some time. Yeah, I think that's one of the big positives. You know, you get to the point where you've spent decades in this field, as, as many of us have, and, and we've learned a lot. And then 2020 hits, and all of a sudden, we're students again. And we're learning technology. And we're even, I'll, I'll share with our listeners, even preparing for this podcast, we wrestled with the technology of getting six people on this call and being heard the right way. So it is it is an exciting moment to to become a student again and figure out new ways to make this art and do all of that. Even as we say that, you know, 2020 made us all students again, though, it also, I have to recognize that everyone on this call and the rest of our staff, this is not everyone. This is six of 11 people on our staff um, are artistic leaders in, and I mean leader in the way that they innovate, in the way that they make a plan on Monday, realize that they have to revise that plan by Wednesday and start over on Friday with a fresh imaginative approach to the ever-changing landscape that we're facing right now. So yes, we're students, but I think we're all artistic leaders as well. And I I'd love to hear what this time has revealed to you, um, not only as a person, as you've all been talking, but as a leader in this field. Um, and maybe I'm going to let everybody answer this. Um, I'll start with Patrick. Patrick, how has this time affected you as an artistic leader? Well, I've learned so much over the past couple of months on, you know, uh, excuse my language, how badass I am with technology and how quickly I've been able to learn new skills to support others. And as an artistic leader, you know, I'm always trying to reflect on myself, like using this time to learn more skills or learn something about myself. And one thing that I've been tackling is my identity during this time. Um, I am Puerto, I have Puerto Rican descent and I do not know Spanish and I've always been disconnected to the Latinx theater community. So I've chosen to take Spanish classes and I've chosen to tackle my identity. And I know through that, I'll be able to connect with more people in this field that I want to connect with. So this time has really taught me to take a moment for myself learn more about myself, be adaptable to support others. And out of that, our community will only get stronger. Yes, it will. Um, Bevan, what are, how are you feeling about being an artistic leader these days? I feel like a warrior and <laughs> I have learned what it is to deal with crisis in this moment and find opportunities and be a survivor and a leader. And I think that we have fought for what is important and I'm really proud of us. What I have learned about myself though, is that I need a room of my own. I am a caregiver. 
And in this moment, it has been especially hard to be a mom and to have um, those responsibilities while also maintaining my responsibilities to the field and to all of you and to the Drama League. And so I know now very much that uh, I need a room of my own in order to make my work and have a, and have a space and um, how important that is. And I love my office. That's what I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think I miss being in an office too. Um, I, I, one thing I would just say, Bevan, is I've also watched you innovate around those questions. Um, when you've had to balance the personal and the professional, when there have been obstacles at the Drama League, I've watched you kind of, you know, MacGyver with a rubber band and a paperclip, new solutions that have just made my jaw drop. So I, I think of you as an innovator as well. Um, Emily, what about you? This has been such a moment of pause and what that has given if, if you've been looking at that as a gift um, to, to think about what you want to focus on, I think that there's actually been um, a wonderful chance to, to think about yourself as an artistic leader. And I guess I should really say to think about myself as an artistic leader. Um, but I've been seeing that in, in the community at large. And for me, what has been exciting this year is for the first time I feel rather than that I'm looking for a career that I'm building one and I'm creating projects and leading projects um, that I care about and both as a director and as a producer um, as sort of a generator now in this moment we all have to be kind of everything. Um, and so if I'm going to be everything, I'm going to be everything for something that I think is important and necessary in, in our world um, and in this moment. And so it's been, been a, a great time to reframe. And instead of um, looking for looking for somebody to give me a chance or looking for uh, what's that opportunity that someone is handing out, creating creating my own opportunities because it's felt like a little more of a level playing field these days. So um, when I when I can look at it in a positive and empowered light, I'd say um, just finally getting to to build and create out of the sort of nothing <laughs> that happened in 2020. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to actually take that and pick that up for Nylon. And Nylon, I want to set you up to talk about artistic leadership because what Emily was saying about how we empower has been something you and I have been batting around since before the pandemic. You know, this, this conversation around leadership has often been tied to hierarchy, which has, of course, allowed white supremacy to run rampant in our field and allowed um, sexism to run rampant in our field and, and homophobia and transphobia. And I think all of those things came to a head in 2020 in interesting ways inside the drama league we've been wrestling with leadership as a non-hierarchical practice and and um since we also have as our mission that we train leaders through directors i'm curious what you're thinking about not only for yourself as an artistic leader but in a larger sense of of the leadership that we practice outwardly yeah um 
I immediately say, this is the perfect time to not do what you have been doing. Um, the, <laughs> pause has really allowed us to assess what we are as an industry, what we are as an organization, what we are as people, and how we communicate to one another. And I will say, my for myself and the work that we're doing here at the Drama League, our artistic leadership um, has to mean um, direct, tangible equality. Um, and we do not have to replicate systems of our past ancestors and elders. And so it's been taking a lot of time to realize um, what is that new procedure? Um, how do I want to proceed moving forward? And how do I begin to replicate these practices inside um, of this institution that I'm working for? How do I speak up and continue to change? So uh, yeah, that's been my work. And uh, um, definitely what I am continue to wrestle with and really implement. Yeah, I sometimes feel that I have the luxury of sitting around and thinking about how things can change and, and making structural under the hood changes um, to the question of leadership. Um, but I think for our partner, and I'm going to come to you next, Ali, as that partner, you are having to put it into practice right now. You know, we have artistic programming coming up in 2021, some of which we've announced, some of which will not, but we are hiring production teams right now. You are having to practice artistic leadership in this moment by deciding who gets in the room. I'm curious, how has that changed for you at all? What is your thinking about that moment in the pandemic versus last year when we didn't have some of these concerns? Certainly, as devastating as the pandemic has been, um, we have the opportunity now to work with a, just like an infinitely larger number of people because people need work. They are not as busy. Things are not planned. And um, that has sort of expanded the, the, the pool of artists available to us, which is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, certainly the uh, rigidity and inflexibility of the production timeline I have I have discovered is an invented construct I mean you have you know we've all really had to learn great patience and a, a greater sense of pace as we are putting together all of these plans and these production timelines and making hires normally you have a a, a concrete offer to an artist or a designer and uh you know, instead we have three versions of what this job might look like, you know. Um, and I I have to say, I think one thing I've discovered about myself during this time is, uh, and, and it was a surprise to me, um, is that I, I feel... I feel so satisfied in my work as an artistic leader that I no longer feel... Um, pressure or or uh, like the scramble to be seen as an artist like my my desire or my passion for supporting artists and and making an impact on their work and the work they create and on the industry really through this incremental change from the inside that we've been talking about uh, has really overpowered my desire to my, my personal desire to make things and and share them and be seen in that way. And that was a, an interesting discovery and has really uh, impacted the way I work with artists now because I, I feel I have a greater focus on like what the mission is, you know? Um, yeah, Ali, isn't, isn't that fascinating? 
um, you know, the, I think it's one of the things that's been most impressed upon me in 2020 is that, you know, as hard as the work has been this year, as as rough a year, it's also been really satisfying work. You know, I think my job and all of our jobs have changed in some ways. You know, we're used to every day talking about theater and art and helping people move up in careers. And then suddenly, you know, we're getting families who have lost all their work enough food um, to feed themselves and helping them with health care. And, you know, it, um, it's been really gratifying in some way. Not that the work before wasn't gratifying, but this is sort of, you know, it feels like it, it's not feels like it is saving lives. It is transforming lives. It is really helping people get through this moment. And that's um, a revelation, I think, that our work and maybe all theater work really is essential. It's essential work um, because art is essential because civilization needs this in order to continue. So our artists need to be protected. Um, so I'd love to also use that as a pivot maybe toward the future toward 2021 and what everyone here at the drama league thinks might come next. Um, you know, at some point in 2021, we will begin to return to live performances. I don't think it'll be an on off switch. It will take some time. Um, but eventually we will be um, back to performances without masks and non-social distancing. I think we have a long way to go, but we'll get there. Um, so I'd love to start with you, Nylan, and I'd love to start with sort of the, the Drama League mission, which is to be a lifelong creative home for stage directors and the audiences who engage and care about their work in the theater. As we think about that and we think about directing in 2020, how's it going to look different in 2021? What what is the job actually going to look like after the pandemic? Huh. <laughs> I, I, I laugh immediately because we know there are so many factors that are still up in the air um, um, with, with vaccine, with the election, with the theater industry coming back. But I think what is obvious um, are a couple of things. Um, one I don't think uh, digital or virtual performance are going away. So I think directors who are the great enablers um, have forever received scripts where all of a sudden there's a man who floats across the stage. There's, there's, there's a woman who's birthed out of a cow or there's, 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 there's a woman trapped in a mound hill of sand, like uh, these impossible problems, right? And have made them possible. So I think it's one really embracing that work and um, continuing to uh, better their craft in this medium. But I will say when we're back, and I'm saying that with the biggest quotations ever, I think it's going to be, uh, how do we create a room again? And I think back to what I said about, we have a chance to do it differently this time, uh, more equitably, more inclusive, more diverse, more human, that's exactly what directors have to do. They have to really anchor themselves and question what is a room now, now that we're back together. And I know directors are ready to face that question. And I know it's going to be a hard question because it, coming back to the room is going to take some time. 
I, th I think it will, but I, I agree with you on that. Emily, as you know, you and I are the only people on staff who identify as theater directors primarily. Are I'd love to hear your thoughts as a director. Um, what's the role going to be and how might it be different? I mean, I love everything Nylon just created. And I think I would also add um, directors are going to have a wider lens and need to have a wider lens. I think directors have traditionally um, seen their job in a bit of bit in a bit of a silo uh, that we are we are running the room and that is our responsibility and you know and we have producers and we have all these other roles we have people to support us um, but it can and has been traditionally sort of a lonely activity and I think the the work of directing in this moment is to really um, to grapple with the how and not just sort of the technical how um, or the emotional how that we have been trained to look at, but how, how are we pointing a conversation? How are we adding and contributing to the society that we're amongst? And, and I think there are, there are uh, directors that have been thinking of their role in that way, for sure. And I know that the Drama League um, is often encouraging directors to, to stand for their principles and the conversations that they want to lead in that way. And I think now with so many more avenues to do that, um, and also with so many of the traditional formats, the traditional um, hierarchies uh, on pause and being recreated in this moment, I think directors are really, are the guides to um, pointing the way towards new forms, new, new approaches, and new lenses through which we see our work and through which we see ourselves. Yeah, I'd agree a hundred percent with with both of you and especially on this point of how we are going to be contributors i really love that word um you know my philosophically i really believe that that directors are natural advocates they have agency and authority in the in the art making process um that other artists may not have and so how we engage as um contributors to make sure that stories are getting told that maybe didn't get told in the past um, or that are getting told in different ways. I, I personally believe that we will be asked post-pandemic um, to continue to embrace technology. I think the lines between film and television and theater and virtual reality and gaming were blending and blurring e even before the pandemic, but that feels deeply accelerated to me in this time. Um, and so the acquisition of skills that theater directors are, are learning in this time and, and the modalities in, in which um, not only theater, but all kinds of directed projects can be made um, are, are going to allow us to contribute to the conversations of our society in new and exciting ways. So I, I agree with that. Um, what about the rest of you? I, I'm curious how you might see change in the industry, what you're reading, what you're seeing, what you, you know, how are you reading the tea leaves? And 
and I guess also in that, what what change do you hope for uh, once we are on the other side of this thing? Patrick, can I start with you? What are what are you seeing, and what are you hoping for? I think the way that industry change is changing is the way that our country is starting to realize things. I feel like it's happening at the same time. You know, there is even more of an acknowledgement that there is systemic racism, ageism, sexism. And I feel like our industry at this moment is acknowledging that and it's starting to listen to the artists that have been not seen or unacknowledged at this time. And my hope is that it truly does change and we start giving more agency and a voice to those artists that have not been given a light or a mic to stand on. Um, right, right. Um, Ali, what about you? I, I think you're um, one of the most um, cognizant people of what's happening on the ground in the field. And, and you and I are always sharing information and things we've seen or heard. What are, what are you hoping will happen as we emerge in 2021? I mean, certainly just to echo uh, what Patrick, Nyland, and Emily just spoke about, I, I think this has afforded us the opportunity as an industry to take a good, hard look at ourselves and not just question the status quo, but really demand upheaval. Um, it seems like every few months, another piece of the puzzle, or maybe not a piece of the puzzle, but like the other shoe drops and, and there's another um, sort of grand realization that we have some, some real problems with the, the processes and the protocols that we have become accustomed to working under. And change is hard. Change is really hard. And now suddenly we are all addressing it together. And I think that's really valuable and it's really difficult. And there's a lot of feelings, but it's so important. And I'm so glad that it is happening. Yes. And, and as you and I've discussed, it's really possible. There feels like an opportunity for, for change um, to shake off some of these deeply racist, um, sexist, privileged um, things that have been a part of my career my entire life. Yeah, power um, I feel, the hierarchy. The I mean, it's, it's yeah. endless. It, and you know, I it I worry sometimes that my hope overreaches our ability. But if we don't hope, and if we don't push as hard as we can, um, you know, I know we're doing that work internally at the Drama League to change our little corner of the universe. But we're also trying to practice out, you know, and say these are the things that are no longer acceptable. And and um, that makes me think, Bevan, you know. Um, I'm not even sure if everyone on this call knows that you and I talk to each other almost every day. And um, and then once a week, we have a sort of standing meeting, which theoretically is about running the drama league, but often becomes like um, it's the place where we shed the tears. It's the place where we make the dreams. We make the plans. We get really determined. Um, you know, I know that you are deeply dedicated to change in this moment in our field. But I'm curious if you could share with some of us what your thoughts are, what you hope for in 2021. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's, I'm in the same mindset as Patrick and Allie. I have been thinking a lot about the word legacy and you and I have been talking about legacy a lot. And 
you know, I think of new is relative. I have been the executive director of the Drama League for a little over a year now. And the Drama League itself has been around for over a hundred, which means that we have been around for the first pandemic in the Spanish flu. And over those hundred years, we have become something that is a legacy arts organization in New York City. And in this moment of change and upheaval, I want us and I hope for us to have opportunities that we haven't had to look at that legacy and dismantle it with bravery and honesty and keep what works and toss what doesn't in a way that is free that we couldn't have done before. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm here for Patrick and Allie and what they're seeing. And I do think we can do it. Uh, and I don't, I wish we didn't have to go through these triple crises of economics and uh, the pandemic and white supremacy all at once. But that convergence is allowing us to dismantle legacy in a way that I think and believe in 2021 will result in real change. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think about the um, the artists who have really shaped our conversations at the Drama League. I, you know, I'm thinking of um, the great artistic director of Baltimore Center Stage, Stephanie Ibarra, who has <clears throat> really laid out some ways that we've um, brought into the Drama League of how this change can happen. And um, Jamil Jude at True Colors Theater in Atlanta. And um, some, some, a person that goes through my head all the time, Bevan, on these thoughts is, and, and he doesn't even know that this happens, is Eric Ting, um, the artistic director at, at Cal Shakes, um, who we were in a huge Zoom call I think during the TCG conference and somebody said, what should we do now? And he said, burn it down and start it all over. And at the time it shook me with such truthfulness, you know, that, that any of it that's not working needs to go and needs to go quickly and expediently. We can make this community better. Um, I'm curious what, what some of you are also hearing from artists in 2021, you know, we're going to have another, I don't know, period of time, I think before live performances. Prior to that, we will start ramp up production and start moving again. But with another year to go, uh, Nyland, let me start with you. What are you hearing from artists? What, what are they saying to you that has been especially memorable? I think what's magical, um, we talked about a little bit before, earlier on this uh, moment, that, that artists are becoming students again. And I love that artists right now are realizing that there are more skills to pick up, um, to one, be competitive, and two, to really uh, manifest what they're dreaming. Um, I think I think learning is such an incredible way to uh, dismantle this immobile feeling that we all have of being uh, locked down in our communities, our, our homes, um, to only go a few blocks. But um, education is also the best way um, to even the playing field. And I'm, I'm noticing a lot of artists go, okay, well, if this is how I have to spend my time right now, I will come out of this moment um, 10 steps ahead. 
And I, and I think that's remarkable. Great. Allie, are you hearing from artists or anything sticking your brain on that, on that idea? Yeah, certainly a lot of folks excited to learn new skills or stretch their artistic practice. But one other notable progression is that I know a lot of artists who are getting married and having babies and taking vacations. I mean, all the things that would have meant taking time off of work, losing income, losing work weeks, which they need for health insurance. Like now is the time that they are actually able to focus on themselves as human beings, um, not just their craft, uh, and and sort of, you know, move that focus away from, like Emily said, building a career. When we can't work, we can only work on ourselves. And I'm seeing a lot of that from artists. And that has been inspiring. Yeah, the renegotiation of work-life balance has been interesting as, as we move to work at home, what it means to have a life too. Um, you know, we can't make great art if we are not taking care of ourselves as well. Um, I really enjoyed that. I've enjoyed even in the in the conversations at the Drama League, you know, at, at, I think while many of us miss working in an office and having that office environment, I think it's also exposed that some of our work um, is really not well suited to a corporate office nine to five environment that art making sometimes needs different patterns of work. And so I think it's revealed some things um, even internally at the Drama League about, oh, actually, in some ways, some of this works better now than it did before. So I'm, I'm, I've been intrigued by that. Um, all right. So I want to come to a nitty gritty question and I'm going to hit um, uh, maybe, maybe all of you with an answer. So in 2021, at some point, it's going to be safe to go back to performance. But it's not going to be, I think we all know, and I think most people listening know, it's not going to be like a light switch. One day the theater is off and one day it's on. It's going to be a process, right? There's going to be restrictions lifted. There will be 25% capacity, 50% capacity. Then we'll all feel safe. There's going to be a period where we see theater with masks and then a period where it's safe to take the mask off. So I'd love to sort of say, I know one thing about everybody on this call is we are all raring to go back to the theater. We miss it. We miss it desperately. I'd love to talk to you about your comfortability. In 2021, when will you go back? Will you go back at 25% capacity? Will you go back at 50%? Will you wait it out? Are you comfortable sitting shoulder to shoulder with masks? Would you feel more comfortable with some space between you and the people next to you? When when are you going to go back to the theater as arts professionals who are invested in this work. Um, Bevan, I know your answer and I love your answer, so I'm going to start with you. <laughs> when do you want to go back to the theater, Bevan? You know that I would go back today if they would open it. <laughs> uh, the theaters that have been lobbying for socially distanced performances uh, to start sooner are, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be one of the first people there. I will wear a mask. I do like the idea of space and social distance. I would say um, that I will, of course, be as supportive of all of the socially distanced guidelines that are important, but I'm there and I'm in a mask as soon as it's available. Excellent. Emily, are you, are you ready to go? Um, when will you feel like you can go back? I'm not ready yet. And it's a funny um, balance. I, I definitely think like in a world in which we're doing things outside and there's plenty of space, um, I 
would love to see to see some more outdoor theater, obviously, as we're getting, as it's getting colder, that's going to get more and more limited now. But um, for next year, I'll be excited for that. But I, as a theater maker, just care so deeply about the balancing act of supporting artists and doing that in a healthy way. Um, so if I know for sure that the the artists on stage are safe um, and that that's been a safe process for them, and, you know, of course, that the audience is going to be okay. Um, then I'd love to support that. And I, like, want to balance that with, like, you know, of course, we want to make sure that they're having jobs um, and and being employed and doing what we all love. And I also, you know, I'm thinking a lot about the, the service workers in this time, many of whom have been and are... Um, our fellow artists. And so it's that balance of wanting to give, to give people employment and also um, keep them physically safe. So when, when I know that, that the actors um, and stage management team and everyone um, on the creation side is, is safe and healthy um, and they feel really supported by theater and the way that that is coming together. um, Then I think, especially if we've got some space, I'll, that's when I'll, feel comfortable going back. Yeah, I think it's a conversation that isn't happening at a high enough level for me. You know, this this idea that when our audiences are safe, our backstage spaces may not be, that a lot of our architectures, even on Broadway, don't allow for a social distanced or safe, health, healthy environment in this way. They weren't built for that. And so we've got to make sure that the entire architecture of theater um, is safe. Um, before we resume performances, and I, you know, I know that's getting a little lost in our union conversations and in our in the articles that are reading, being written, but uh, it's it's something I'd love to see more talk about. How will we make sure that the space is safe for the artists who are backstage, not only the actors but the crew and the wardrobe supervisor and everyone who who makes theater happen? Um, Patrick, what about you? When would when would you feel comfortable about? going back uh i'm just gonna mix bevan and emily i am so ready to go back because i just miss it but as long as uh people in the audience are safe our performers our backstage crew are safe i'm good so i would if to give like a concrete number give me a cute 50 percent capacity with good social distance mass and like the vaccine is like like it's a real thing and it's a flowing and then I'll be in that seat. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm uh, Ali. I'm going to come to you with this question too, because it, uh, Patrick's answer makes me think about one of the podcast episodes uh, that you hosted um, about uh, health procedures and what directors and theater people can do uh, that we had a few months ago. Um, certainly I'm going to be, now that I understand the science of masks and how much safer we are with masks on, I think I am uh, a lot more comfortable with a masked audience than I would be without. And I'm just curious, what, what would, what would make you comfortable, uh, and ready to go back to the theater? I'm probably a bad person to ask this. Um, I, I, Personally, uh, I have uh, I was diagnosed with a medical condition during the pandemic that is in my lungs. And so therefore, I'm at really high risk and I would not personally be comfortable going back to the theater until there was a vaccine. Um, But 
I will say that it has put a lot in perspective as far as what we ask artists to do. And I realized that, you know, I, I am, uh, you know, I don't hold a lot of power, but when, but, but the one power I do have is in, um, the, the, the hires that we make, like you spoke about before regarding director fest, uh, and what we're asking of artists and, um, I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything that I myself wouldn't do. And right now that's not a whole lot. So I, I, as much as I dream about the theater, literally waking up in tears after dreaming about a musical that doesn't exist, that was invented in the recesses of my brain, fully orchestrated. And I, and I, you know, wake up crying. I, I just have to wait. Yeah. I, I, I share that. I, I don't have um, a medical condition in my lungs, but I am a um, person of a certain age um, who is, you know, it seems that I am the ideal candidate for um, COVID-19. And I, you know, am around a lot of people who are younger than me or um, come, come to this conversation in a different way. And I find myself being more reticent um, and, and less risky than maybe other artists that I know. Um, Nyland, I'm going to come to you with this question too, because you and I decided maybe that first week in March that our jobs are so closely aligned, we were going to have to be in a pod together. Um, and so you are the one person on the staff who I see regularly at this point, because we are with that. That's how our work and our, our lives, um, go. I'm wondering about your feelings about masks and going to the theater and uh, when you would feel comfortable coming back. I, I must say I'm, I'm very happy for that pod and those people inside that pod because they have kept me sane <laughs> during this. <laughs> me time. too. But they've also told me that a lot of coming back is going to be willful trust. As much as we uh, trust each other when we get inside vehicles, um, at extreme speeds that could end our life in a second. We, we have to be able to trust that humankind is going to do the right thing, that we're going to take care of each other. So with that being said, I'm assuming that any production um, is taking care of their staff, the actors, the backstage, etc. And I really expect um, that those who decide to be in, inside any audience really take the time to realize that they're not the only ones there and are more concerned about the people around them than maybe even themselves. Um, and with that being said, I guess I'm, I'm at a good between 25, 30, you know, percent. I, I, I could do it. I, I, I'd be like, I'd be a little frazzled for a moment, but I'll be there. <laughs> it's, it's going to feel weird right at the beginning. It's going to be, we we're all going to want it, but we're, it's going to be odd to come back. And I'm, I'm excited to be in a room with people again and share creative events, but I, it, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be new and different. And I think I'll value it differently. Um, yeah. So I think that leads me to what I'd like to end with today. I, we, um, and bring our season one to a close. And that's a thought of gratitude. You know, Bevan very early on had her team pivot to offer an award that was based in the idea of gratitude, that for our frontline workers, for the artists who um, have put themselves on the line to make sure that uh, we still have creativity in this moment, we were incredibly grateful 
And that continued all year long for me in 2020. So um, I'd love for us to just thank the, the other people in the Drama League ecosystem and in our, in our community. Um, and I'd like to begin with our artists. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that Drama League has not canceled any of its programs during this time. A few had to be postponed that were hosted by other theaters, but we're operating. And those artists, uh, our fellowship recipients, our directors and residents, our um, participants in our workshops and classes have really shown extraordinary bravery, bravery ingenuity, innovation. Um, I just really want to thank those those artists. I also want to thank the alumni of the Drum League. All of the directors who have come through our program have offered their help and their um, skills to help weather this moment, not only for us, but for other artists. And I see them being generous online, on Instagram, everywhere, and in our work. And I just want to thank them for that. Um, I said at the beginning of this podcast that this was the Drum League family. Um, our staff, but it's not all of our family. And the other family I really want to thank is our board of directors. Um, these people um, are the people who care enough about artists to make sure that they put their support and the support of their networks behind this work. Um, they are truly extraordinary and have risen to this occasion with great courage and great energy. And so thank you to the Drum League board of directors. Um, and then, Bevan, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know that Drama League members are the core of our institution, as well as the um, grant-making community that supported us. So do you want to thank some people there? Absolutely. Yes. First and foremost, I'd love to thank the Drama League members. They are the backbone of our organization. I'd also like to thank all of our sponsors and the individuals that make our work possible as well as the funding community that supports our work and has done so in this moment when everything is pivoting. So thank you to the Howard Gilman Foundation. Thank you to the Hyden Watson Foundation, the Sylvia W. and Randall M. Cowders Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, New York State Council on the Arts, the Schubert Foundation, the Leo Scholl Foundation for the Arts, the Trust for Mutual Understanding. Thank you. Without you, we couldn't make this work and we couldn't serve the artists in our community. So thank you. Thank you very much. I also want to thank all of the artists who've been a part of our programs over the last eight months. We've had extraordinary guest artists uh, Cheryl Collar, Lawrence Moten, Ali Silver, Sarah Wansley, so many people have contributed to our programs and, and thank you um, during this very hard time of stepping up and helping with that, this work. I also want to thank all the artists and thinkers and um, great souls who have participated in season one of this podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, I encourage you to subscribe and go back and listen. Um, really astonishing thinkers responding to this moment. Uh, thank you to all of you. And finally, if you are just a listener, thank you for caring enough about the theater and the artists of America uh, to be a part of this community. We're really grateful that you joined us on this journey. And we really look forward to being with you for season two. We're going to take a little break for the holidays, um, but come back in 2021 with conversations as the American theater begins its reemergence. 
Um, thank you, Bevan, Emily, Patrick, Allie, Nyland. Your work has been exemplary during this time. I, you are my personal superheroes, and thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you.